Hello listeners, it's Philip here. Welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast, The Doubles Alley. I'm here with my cousin Mark, who's live from Miami. I'm in Paris. Uh, and you know, funny I say the word Paris because uh, the French Open just happened um, in Paris. Um, well, so, you know, coincidences. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about the tournament. Um, but first... We'll talk about a specific event in the tournament. Um, during the Berrettini Djokovic match, um, because there's a curfew at 11 p.m. in in France right now because of COVID, uh, the fans had to leave like <laughs> midway through. Like right as Berrettini made the match interesting, the fans had to leave, and like there were a bunch of people. <laughs> who refused and some were even just lying on the ground, uh, forcing the security guards to like pick them up. Um, and yeah, I think we can all relate to that circumstance of just like, you know, you make, you make a big effort to do something awesome and things get really good. And then, you know, uh, there's just a total buzzkill. And so like Mark, What's an example that you can come up with, like a non-tennis uh, equivalent of that scenario? I have a recent story. The level of magnitude, nothing spectacular, but here we go. So there was a set of teachers invited to a student-generated prom, uh, and in the inv- invite, part of uh, the, you know, part of the selling point was that there would be a lot of food, free drinks and food. So it was a Friday night again. It was entirely student-sponsored. I think the day after school ended, I brought my wife there, and I was like, oh, yeah, baby, there'll be some great food, and there'll be some, you know, some nice drinks. We'll have a good time. We'll listen to music. And at about, so we're right in the midst of it. We see them cooking the paella. We see a big, just almost look like a witch's brew of different cocktails. There was Caesar salad. There was a sushi area. Everything you could dream of. And I was like, and my wife was like, I, I think we should go um, get back to the kids. I'm like, baby, we came all this way. We want to have the food. And at about 8.40, one of the parents got on the microphone and said, uh, teachers, thank you very much for coming. This is the time when you must leave. It wasn't even suggested. He just said, this is the time that you must leave. Um, in our Pavlovian state, salivating for the last 45 minutes waiting to eat all that food and they're like right please please make your way out of here within the next five minutes so we were sent there no food no drink no nothing got a taste of what everybody else was going to enjoy and then had to leave so it's not it's not of similar magnitude but it's a, it's fairly recent yeah that's a pretty direct correlation between that and being kicked out of the berrettini Djokovic match right as berrettini made it interesting um <laughs> Yeah, mine is also food-related. I was out to dinner with friends, like, a week ago, and after dinner we went to an ice cream place, and I was all ready for, for my, uh, you know, for my, for my ice cream, and we get to the front of the line, and they had all of their flavors except chocolate, vanilla, uh, coffee, and caramel, uh, salted caramel, so, you know. They had all of their flavors except for my like four favorite ones. So you know. So basically, they had like pistachio and maybe like some non-fat strawberry or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, 
I made do, but it was, yeah, it was just total buzzkill, you know, really looking forward to that first ice cream of the, the summer season and didn't Speaking get the Speaking of which, and we will segue into the tennis, what's your opinion about taste testing? How many different flavors should one be allowed to taste test? And yeah, you know, if let's say they give free samples. Well, well are you ever going back again? Because, you know, if you if if it's just like in the middle of like Kentucky and you're just never going to be in that town again. What if you're like a middle-aged lady and you're standing online with Larry David and the middle-aged lady seems to be sort of dragging her feet with that? What would, what would be your sense? Well, is she ever going to be in that ice cream parlor again? Because I say go <laughs> go for as many taste tests. You know, you can probably get two full scoops of taste tests in if you get like at least one full scoop if you get uh, eight or nine taste tests. So if you never plan to go to the place again, Get as many taste tests as you can before they cut you off, and then don't order anything. I was saying I think you should definitely go back to the place you went to the other day and, and, and do a taste <laughs> test binge. Speaking of which, uh, I guess a few people at the French Open got, to, got a decent taste test. I don't know if they ended up leaving with a double scoop of ice cream, but at least they got to sample some of the goods. Oh, we've got we've got Peter. We're admitting Peter. He was taste testing. Peter Peter is joining us uh, right as we segue into the tennis. Um, what, what was the intro? Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were, were, still, we're, we were talking about what is, what is, how the fans had to leave the Berrettini Djokovic match, like right as it got good, um, oh, yeah. and like a real life example of that. Both of ours PG are food related. It's got to be PC thirteen or less. Both of our analogies had to do with food. If you have something quick, by all means, uh, 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 jump in. Um, all mine are rated R. Uh, <laughs> I, that's a that's a lower rating than I would have expected. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm I'm sure we've. Uh, We've all hooked up with someone on a dance floor and wishing it had gone further. <laughs> <laughs> and vice versa. And, wish it had gone. <laughs> and vice versa. But not as, as vice versa as as relevant. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, let's talk about tennis. Um, so it was. So Novak Djokovic won his 19th Grand Slam, his second French Open. He beat Rafael Nadal in the semifinals. Um, I think he has 20 Grand Slams, mind you. So let's not let's put 19 in perspective. It's still less than two other people. <laughs> for for like three more months. Um, yeah, because uh, yeah, Novak uh, beat Rafael Nadal on Rafa's favorite court. Nadal wasn't playing badly. Nadal's lost three French o- three matches in the French Open ever, but this is the first match he's ever lost where he's sort of been like playing well and clearly not injured. Um, so yeah, this this has got it. This is a blow for Rafa fans. Um, n- yeah, Peter, Unless what did you, you flip think? it around and you say that three losses in seventeen years? Ain't too shabby. <laughs> like it's just a once every five. You know, it's gonna. Do you think that he appreciate? Do you think it actually? I, 
this is rationalization, but do you think the three losses make him appreciate the 13 wins even more? Does it become almost too clockworkish if he wins every time? I know as a, from a fan standpoint, maybe it's not, it's not the ultimate. But from a player standpoint, is there a little bit more appreciation for the four or five that he gets in a row when he binges uh, if he doesn't win every time? Yeah, I mean, I definitely was thinking, wow. After after that match with Djokovic, like, I was thinking, wow, I cannot believe Rafa won this tournament 13 times. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, that match um, might have been the best clay court match I've ever seen in my life. Like, uh, those points were crazy. Um, it was just, they were covering more court than I've ever seen covered in a in any match ever um and uh yeah i sort of came up with a thought for like why djokovic and i guess nadal and federer too but especially djokovic is just so dominant i think he's hitting into a bigger court than other people just because he has more he can hit the ball closer to the lines um more assuredly more more uh consistently than um the other players which means yeah he's just hitting into a bigger court um it's like if one basketball if two two teams were playing basketball and one one hoop was like twice as big did you ever see him live let's say in the first three or four years of his career because when i saw him for the first time in 2007 that was the first thing I noticed. I think he won the, the Miami Open that year, and he was a he was unheard of to me. And it seemed like every shot landed within six inches of the baseline. Obviously, it was deliberate. You yeah. know, nobody could get that lucky. And to me, that was actually the most visible. It was the one player that I've seen, I've seen a fair amount of live tennis, where it was a trademark. That wasn't just on the big points or when he had a big lead in a game. He was for the lines and and, 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 you know, creating that, like you said, playing with a bigger court almost the whole time. So I don't know if you've seen him live and seen the same thing, and, and, and it was pretty obvious on TV as well. But that, yeah, I think that's his signature trait. Yeah, he just hits those lines so much more regularly. Like, there are some, there were times in both the Nadal or in Sitsipas matches where Nadal was just shaking his head after Djokovic clipped another, clipped the baseline, like, yet again on a service return. And, like, Sitsipas was doing the same thing um, in the final. And uh, the one match where I think both players were doing that was the Federer-Djokovic-Wimbledon final, which I think is actually the greatest match I've ever seen on any surface. Like, this semi was the greatest match I've ever seen on clay, but that final, like, yeah, because both players... I I, I disagree, because I don't think Djokovic was actually playing that well during that match. He was just... He won the... He won the big points. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, in terms maybe of drama, stakes, though, maybe, you know, maybe the stakes of it, the fact that seventy-five percent of the crowd, and, and maybe you just take the fifth set, you know, the drama, the two yeah. match points on Federer's serve, um, nice comeback by Federer in the fourth. So maybe, maybe the last twenty percent of the match, maybe it was the best, you know, uh, climax of a match that's happened, but from start to finish. You know, Joker, Nadal, Australia, the six hours. Yeah, I think that one's the semifinal match. If you watch, if you watch replays of the 2012 Aussie Open, 
I think there's some recency bias. I think the, these guys were, <laughs> were legitimately better when they were a lot faster, um, especially Nadal. And, uh, but I, I, I do think they've aged very, very well. Yeah, that is an interesting question. You think Novak in 2021, uh, how would he do against Novak in 2012? Because I think Novak uh, now would crush Novak from 10 years ago. I would actually take Novak from 2011 over any player any year ever. Yeah, that was a different, he, different answer. He was, he was just, that was the year he, he should have won the Grand Slam. This gets into like the question of like why these guys are so dominant. And one one answer I have is just like, yeah, the fact that they've been at the top for 15 years and amassed so much experience. Um, it's sort of like why Tom Brady is still good and stuff like that. Like, like experience, uh, their experience advantage um, is a lot more than like the waning of their athleticism is bad. Um and so, yeah, I think they would, yeah, I think they would beat their young selves as, like, evidenced by the fact that they beat all the young players on tour right now. Yeah, I think they were just better than, as younger players than the younger people are now. Um, I, so, I don't, I, I just disagree. I, I just think that, like, the younger players now have just some sort of clear flaw in their game. And if you, like, Rafael Nadal at 20 years old was a mental giant. Um, and nobody else in this generation is. Um, but I think that, so going back to what you said about Djokovic and why he's so good, I think the, the, the part about him hitting into a bigger court is fair. But I also think that um, he just hits the awkward balls better than anyone else does. He, it's just like he's never he's you can't make him feel awkward and he also it's just this is this is one thing that's just so simple he's just really really fast like you see and dropping hitting a drop shot against Djokovic is just different from hitting a drop shot against anyone else you see him like really speed up to get to it and you feel like there's nothing that's out of reach for him yeah, also his, like, full extension, like, moon ball, uh, that, that, um, when he's, like, behind in the rally, that bounces within a foot of the baseline and totally puts him back on even footing. Um, yeah. That yeah, happens... One of my questions, I think, to, I think to either Philip or to both of you, during one of Djokovic's matches, I think it was against Nadal, was what would Djokovic be ranked in the world if he was if he just committed to becoming a moonballer for a year? Yeah, I mean he would be do- doing a lot of running. Were that the case? But the other player would be doing a lot of that. Would that's sort of like the rope dope. Like the guy would have to generate all the pace. Like and yeah. And yeah, get some on the, and the right ball. surface and the right day, you can win a lot of matches by making your opponent hit five more balls than they want to hit, or three more balls than they want to hit. At least in the three out of fives, the two out of three, it might they might just you know um, take it early, get out to a lead, 
you know, hit the net. I mean, if you're playing against a moon baller, it's really to get to net and try to finish the point a little bit earlier. It'd be interesting. I think he would be, I think seven was a little low. I feel like he would be fourth or fifth. He would, he, he would drive some people crazy, but who knows? Who knows? It was, you can moonball on clay a lot more than you can moonball on the other surfaces. I think people might get used to it after a year, but for one tournament, if he just huh. moonballed every single time, uh, I think Curious would start liking him a bit more. <laughs> He's just like so fast. He would be daring you to hit through him and... Uh, yeah, if you I mean, if, may, may, maybe not moonball drop like a lob drop game, if he could do either or. Yeah, so I would Nadal, love. Nadal might have won the match if he had executed that volley. I mean, that that match was still a flip of a coin. If your sits a pass, is there anything that you could have done to stem the tide? Do you just come out of the third set guns blazing, or you just you know he held off? the Djoko the as long as he could, but it was not a matter of if, it was a matter of when that Djokovic would get that match turned around. Um, yeah, I think it was always on Djokovic's racket. I mean, Tsitsipas played so well in the first two sets, but, I mean, Djokovic's top level is higher than Tsitsipas's top level, and so it was just like, the one question is, can Djokovic get his head, like, reach his top level, um, and in his press conference, he said, yeah, he wasn't feeling great. And then he went back to the locker room after the second set, uh, sort of fired himself up and uh, came back playing a lot better. And after he got the break in the third set, he felt like, okay, I've got this. Um, and uh, that's what it looked like on TV, um, too. Um, yeah, when, when Djokovic uh, got the momentum, it was more of just like, I mean, there was also a sense of like, okay, Sitsipas, um, he lost the third and the fourth sets against Zverev as well and managed to pull it out in the fifth. Um, Djokovic, uh, yeah, you just never know what'll happen if you stay tight in the scoreline. And that final game in the in the fifth set when Djokovic was ser- was serving it out. Uh, Sitsipas got him to 30-all, and Djokovic played a, a like a magnificent 30-all point. Um, Sitsipas, yeah, he he saved a few match points in the match. One with a incredible backhand down the line. Uh, yeah, and but in the end, it was clear to see that one player was better than the other. Um, and the question was, will Djokovic tighten up when he's serving for the match? So, like, all Sitsipas could really do was keep it within one break um, in the final set and see if Djokovic tightens up when serving for the match, and um, he didn't. So, yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, he, he managed to pull it out. Well, I mean, none of the guys in their late 20s are... are, are... Who, who in their late 20s is even in the top 10 right now? Nobody, right? Maybe. Uh, team. Team is 26, I guess. He's, 20, he's, 20, he's almost 28. Okay, okay. So, I mean, the experience gap on the big is just so vast. And it seems like Zverev, Medvedev, team, and Tsitsipas are going to have like a revolving door. Maybe Rublev. 
of like who makes the semis and the finals. So it just seems like there's no way to close the experience gap. I mean, uh, you know, the kind of Malcolm Gladwell-ish um, margins that they have from just having the experience in the big stage. I'm assuming what Djokovic has now played like eight or nine five-set matches in Grand Slam finals, and he's won them all except for the Murray match at the U.S. No, Open. I'm literally looking at this right now. He's he's played, I think he's played five. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He's he's five and one in the fifth set in Grand Slam finals. Murray beat him in the U.S. Open in 2012. Wow. Yeah, mind you, Djokovic had won the third and the fourth set of that, right? So the Murray did get it turned around in the fifth again, but like he literally almost came back from down two sets to love. Yeah, yeah. sir. Yeah. And I wonder if you add the semis to it, what it is. Yeah, his semi at Wimbledon, he's had a few. One against Del Potro and another against Nadal that were just incredible matches that he won. Two against Federer at the U.S. Open, right? Those were both semifinals. So so here's, here's a question. Is Djokovic mentally tougher than his opponents because he's better than them? Or is he better than them because he's mentally tougher? Why don't you answer that first? I mean, that's a great question. Uh, I think it's the first one. I think he knows he's better if he brings his his top level, and that makes him mentally stronger because he knows all he has to do is summon it. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to worry about whether the other guy summons his best level as well. And then I would only add that that some of that's tactical, but I would put him and Nadal on equal footing there. They know how to slow the match down when things are going tough, and they know how to speed it up when things are going well. But the extra, the three, four extra bouncing bounces of the ball, you know, before a serve, you see it. Like, if they've missed the first serve and they're up 40-30 or down 30-40 or down 15-30, they take that little bit of extra time. It seems like that, yeah, you're right. The talent level at the end is the primary cause, but secondarily, I think they make mental adjustments within a match better than anybody. I mean, the, the percentage of breakbacks by Nadal has to be a record by 10% or 20%. I mean, even when I just follow the match on the phone, and every time he gets broken on a big game, I sort of feel like, all right, he's got him right where he wants him because he's going to break back the next game. Djokovic, I don't think quite to that extent of the you know, the, the break back, but it's, it's, it's a very high percentage for both. Yeah, they have different styles of mental toughness. I think Nadal is more of an every point ultimate respect for his opponent. Um, you're just not, you just know nothing is going to be easy. But Djokovic, he can really like look like he sucks it and have <laughs> some blows. But he, he just plays the big points and the big games and the big sets like so well. And there's just this next gear that he can get to when he just gets himself angry, gets himself in that kind of like zone of his where he's just an animal that I don't think like I've seen from Nadal sort of like goes vamos and is like, like pumps himself up, but he doesn't have just that next level of intensity that Djokovic can get to. You don't think Nadal has it for, for a whole match, but he, I mean, I've always felt like Nadal has it for a three, four game stretch at least if he needs it. I'm assuming that the three, four games will get him over the hump. You see, you see Joker at a higher level of whatever that is of just um, 
of sort of that sicko mode that he goes in? Yeah, I think Joe, I think Nadal's is more consistently distributed throughout the match, whereas Djokovic can really have high peaks at just the right time and can just like really um, get himself get the adrenaline flowing like at the right moment in a way that's helpful to him in a way that nobody else can. And that's why I think that it may be a little more nuanced than just he's better than everyone else. I think he like really knows how to um, how to get the most out of himself uh, more than anyone else does. And he really does have there, it's a different Djokovic when he plays Nadal than when he plays like um, yeah. or when he plays in finals than when he plays like his second round match or like. Djokovic against Musetti was different from Djokovic against Nadal. And I think he does have, it's not just a uh, point by point, like within a match thing. He really knows how to peak um, mm. as he goes through a tournament. Yeah. Yeah. He does a very good job of getting him. I mean, he loses the first set a lot against Nadal. I, he turns that around. I've never seen somebody get a match turned around so quickly against Nadal and Clay. I mean, Rome, two years ago, he was getting blown off the court. Yeah, Nadal won the match, but, you know, he got himself back into it. Rome this year, which helped, uh, you know, this year's final where Nadal was just, even Djokovic, yeah, he was blown off the court in last year's final, but at least, you know, he got the, the last two sets were semi rectable when Nadal was in, in invincible mode. And you're right, he just adjusted. He's paced. He's paced for a whole tournament, and I guess he really... He knows, like a marathon runner, how to pace himself within a match. And maybe that's that's just something you know within his team, within his own approach to the to the big matches that he does quite a bit of pre-match planning, training. Who knows in terms of uh, strategizing the match? Probably more than most. Yeah, yeah. His control over like his mind and emotions is, um, I think, like. Going back to the Wimbledon match with Federer, like, part of the reason that was such a good match is Joker didn't have his top level of tennis, but his, like, yeah, his his mental game, like, his willpower is what put him over the bar. Um, like, it, it just sort of, uh, sort of crystallized, like, that this guy doesn't have just one advantage in terms of, like, raw tennis talent he has two ta- he has two advantages because yeah he's just a mental uh he, he's he's just he's just mastered the mental aspect of tennis more than um more than anyone has ever done it um it's kind of like what people talk about with michael jordan of like one in a million athleticism one in a million like competitive drive um like djokovic has a different form of competitive drive than Jordan, like, uh, he's not just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's more like, it's more zen-like, I would say, from Novak. It's less alpha male, it's, it's less id. Yeah, yeah. He's, 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 he rips his shirt like an alpha male. <laughs> but, like, but do you think he does that just, like, impulsively, or do you think he's like, okay, if I rip my shirt right now, I'll get an adrenaline rush and the crowd will get into it. Um, it's a cathartic. It's a cathartic. I think it's 
I don't think he fakes it. I think he really, in those big moments, gets super pissed and is just like, I like he just cannot believe he's there. He, he just thinks that he would be just pissed if he lost. Um, do you think he should every once in a while scream, I am William Wallace, just for the hell of it? <laughs> you know, got it. You know it, would, it would be nice. Speaking of, who, who do you feel like, who turned a corner aside from, uh, I mean, I, I think both, of, all of us have predicted since a pass in the final. Right, just, just, just one more point on Joke. Of course, of course. Like, uh, taking Phil's point about, like, Michael Jordan, I think the Djokovic is the mentally toughest athlete I've ever seen. Like, I cannot think of a single person in any sport who I think is mentally tougher than Novak Djokovic. Maybe Floyd Mayweather. I don't know enough about boxing, though. Um, yeah, that, that's a good one. But Maybe Gary Kasparov. Maybe Gary <laughs> <laughs> Magnus, <laughs> Magnus Carlson. <laughs> Floyd, though, was not... He, he, he faced a few great opponents, but he wasn't constantly going up against the greats, though. Yeah, I don't think he's won 970 matches either, whatever Djokovic has won. Yeah, yeah. Djokovic. You know, but I, I like the Floyd answer. I mean, you can't, you can't say no definitively to that, but I don't know. Djokovic, yeah, I think they're in the same. That, that, is, the, that is an echelon. Yeah. And Jordan, too. Obviously, well, I mean, I think one one measure of that is the amount of um, tired stars who just sing his praises, you know. And I don't think they're partial to one player or another, but like if you look at Twitter, whether Courier or Navratilova or Chris Everett or even Andy Roddick, and I know, I think they had some trash talking back in the day, um, you know, Fed as well, maybe not all the time, but even after matches, I think Fed realizes, like, you know, sometimes that guy is just kryptonite. It's, that's an element of his game. Uh, 2011, as you were saying, probably the best year ever. He was getting by on talent, the mental toughness, didn't entirely have to kick in then, but I think since 2000, since that 2012 Australian Open, he's yeah, had he to Yeah, he was rely. cramping up during that. He was down a break and cramping up in the fifth and still won it. And in 2011, he um, he came. That was the first time he came back from two match balls on Federer's serve in a Grand Slam fifth true, set. True, true. That's right. That's right. That's the first time out of three that he did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is great. It is. So since we went to Wimbledon, we may have created the animal. He's won 17 Grand Slams since we were all at Wimbledon 10 years ago. Is yeah. that what is that a statement of? Just his sheer excellence. Or the fact that some of the, other than the, you know, Murray, Nadal, of course, and Federer, that the rest of the, the competition has been a little diluted? Or do you, do you just think that's that's all on Djokovic's racket? Or it's just some of his statement about all the different iterations of, like, uh, next year competition? I think it's I think the fact it, it that they're... at the highest level. I also think there's, like, a part of it where it's just there were three guys who were pushing each other. Uh, cause like if these guys weren't pushing each other and if they didn't want to be like the one at the end, uh, they probably would have all retired by now. Like if it were just Djokovic or if it were, if like the Grand Slam record were 14 still and Djokovic got to 
16, he'd probably be retired. Yeah, I, I think it's it's both. It's like they were all pushing each other, and then at the end of it, Djokovic ended up having the highest level. I also think Djokovic is just straight up smarter than the other three. Like, if you listen to him at press conference, he's just so multi-talented. And I think that at a certain point, it's his brain that won out. Yeah. Spe- speaks pretty awesome French, and I'm assuming that's like his fourth or fifth language. So that's <laughs> yeah. Phil, yeah. Who, do you, who do you guys like amongst the uh, among the 21, the, the 20 and under crowd? Who, who do you feel like is going to be a big part of this conversation for years to come? I mean, the two big names among the 20 and unders are... Uh, I mean, the three big names are Sinner, Musetti, and Alcaraz. Um, Felix is 20, I think. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was including him, or at least. He's, okay. uh, he's a candidate if, if you want to include him in this. Felix got to the finals of Stuttgart last week and lost to Chilich. Um, I think that's his eighth final without a, a title. He has some mental hurdles to get over, but he has all the talent, and he's still only 20, so There we'll was see. a grass tournament last week, or that was clay? Grass tournament. Because they, they had a tournament set up for the second week of the, of the, of the French? Yeah, and he, he, got, he got bounced early from the French. Uh, he sort of, uh, he's, he had a disappointing clay season. He hired uh, Tony Nadal, and people were thinking, had high hopes for him, and he just thudded in every every time there was a challenge in the clay season. But uh, yeah, maybe grass will treat him better. Um, who do you what What do you guys think of uh, of that crowd? Is Shapovalov twenty, or he's older than twenty? Um, he's a year and a half older than Felix, so he's either twenty one or twenty two. I mean, those are the only three names that I that I know, but they look good. I mean, they don't seem like flash in the pans because the competition in the top 20 is stiff. Like, to make the quarters or the round of 16 in in the Grand Slams, you got to bring you got to bring your game. And uh, they seem to not be too fearful of the, of the top five, which is a good sign. Yeah. And I think Senior's the most legit. Yeah. Um, he's the one who I think who I think now could, like, he could actually just take down anybody. In a, in a non-Grand Slam match, anyone, he could take down, like, anybody. And in a Grand Slam match, he could take down anyone other than, like, Nadal or Djokovic on their preferred surfaces. Or Nadal on his preferred surface and Djokovic on any Actually, no. <laughs> uh, he couldn't take down either of those two on any surface, but he could take... I don't think he could take down Medvedev on hard court. Um, and, but I think he could really give like other top guys a real, he'd have a legitimate chance of winning. Yeah. He's definitely the most uh, proven of these. Musetti played really well in those first two sets against Djokovic. And I think he got injured um, after that. Um, I don't think he wanted to say he was injured. And looked like he was making an excuse, but um, he was he was so like he was really really good. Um, yeah, he was. And uh, yeah, I think Sitsipas is uh, 
he's going to win multiple Grand Slam. Like he's he's the next guy. Um, he is so close. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the thing with Sitsipas is that um, he's the guy who's like just unashamedly loves the game. And we talk about other people and like who has more talent than who. But I think the guy who loves the game the most, who's generally in the talent ballpark of the others, is the one who's going to prevail. And it might, it might be like clearly him who loves the game the most. Yeah, and this, have you? I heard some set that Sverev has never beaten a top ten player at a major. Um, yeah, and with that love of the game thing, uh, when I was watching yeah. the Sitsipas Sverev semi, I was thinking the whole time, "Wow, Sverev has." the higher ceiling he's just has he's the more talented player but Sitsipas does at every point um and that's why Sitsipas is winning um but yeah I think if Sverev really put it together and just um he could he could he could be the next guy but uh Sitsipas is a safe bet to win multiple majors if he doesn't throw out that shoulder, there's a couple of hitches in the serve, and I mean, it's an awkward motion. It looks beautiful, like the contact toss, but it just feels like he's going to throw out his rotator. I don't know what you're. He's kind of wide elbowed, I would yeah. say. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's part of it. That's part of it. Um, it'll be interesting. Uh, do they? Do, do you think that? Uh, I'm assuming. Do you think Nadal's going to play Wimbledon? I mean, these guys going to do well. Everybody's going to do Wimbledon. The big guys are going to do Wimbledon and the Olympics. Or do you think they're going to pick one? Not better. We know he's going to do both. But uh, Nadal will definitely play Wimbledon. I don't think he'll play any tune-up tournaments. Um, what do you guys think? Do you think he'll play the Olympics too, or is he playing Wimbledon and then saying, "All right, I'll I'll, I'll make it to North America sometime in August. And take it from there." I think the COVID situation in Japan and like with the Olympics in general will have a lot to do with it because I mean, Nadal's probably vaccinated by now, but uh, yeah. I think he got vaccinated in the last three days. That'd be my guess actually, but who knows? Uh, maybe he got like a shot before Rome and then, or I guess he probably did the one shot. Who knows? Yeah, I don't I think, know. Um, Nadal will play the Olympics because he is a is a huge patriot and has always has said like all the time that the Olympics is like the greatest honor and he loves representing Spain and all of that. But I but I think that uh, if he didn't play the Olympics, that would be it would make it much more likely for him to win the U.S. Open. Yeah. I also think he might want to thwart Djokovic at the Olympics. Um, it's as much a defense play as an offense one. What, what surface will the Olympics be? Like, hard court? Yeah, that's Japan hard court where they have the, the big tournament there before. And Djokovic is such a beast in Asia. Yeah. Yeah, and it all would probably be better off to just avoid that uh, plane trip. And um, yeah, focus on his tennis. He's got a gold medal in singles and doubles. I'm sort of thinking there's not much more to prove. He yeah, yeah. he hasn't committed to the Olympics. Um, yeah, 
Uh, I hope he doesn't play it, but I think he will. Well, more power to him either way. Who uh, who do you, who do you guys like? Who do you feel like is going to come in Wimbledon? Uh, you know, poised to make a, a deep. In, in part because they're they've got some confidence from from the clay, and in part because you think they'll just transition well to grass. Um, Peter, do you have any any names? Off the top of my head, I don't know. I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see how Murray uh, plays. Um, I just would not want to have to play him in an early round at at, uh, at Wimbledon. Um, I think he's been training, and I also similarly I wonder how Federer. Um, I feel like he's, Federer kind of knows that this is his last chance at a major. You think he's going to be seated eight or lower or higher than eight? Higher. Jeez, that's ridiculous. Because they can't reseed it this year, they can't do the personalized seating. It's going to go by ranking. I, no, I was going to say he would be like a six seed or something. Okay, okay. I just I thought that Wimbledon maybe had shifted just to ATP rankings, but maybe that was the French. I don't. Uh, I think I he'll I stay at eight because like it doesn't really matter if you're a five seed or an eight seed, and putting him all the way up to like four would be a bit of a stretch. No, I was thinking to be lower than eight. Sorry, I guess lower, like like a ten or a twelve, based on the ATP ranking. But if they concede it themselves, then I guess not. He's in the the rankings at the moment. He's number eight in the world. Oh, wow. Because yeah, because he got really lucky with COVID. Because uh, yeah, because they, it's your points from two years ago count um, if you didn't play the same tournament last year. Yeah, I thought Berrettini might have leapfrogged him. I, I think, so the, in answer to my question, I think Zverev will be really good, and I think Berrettini's going to be great. I mean, I think he's going to take a lot with his big serve, and um, I think he'll be he'll be tough. I think he's going to... And Medvedev, I don't know how Medvedev is on grass. Probably not great, but his quarterfinals will help at least. Zverev has a perfect game for grass. Like... But he's also just never beaten a top 10 player to major, so it's hard to really say Sverv is going to win Wimbledon. But, uh, yeah, I mean... Well, your preseason pick is getting very little airtime right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sterling yeah. I, I was going to say, well Batista Agu, well he was so confident, he's so confident in his grass court form that he lost first round to Corda in uh, Hal. Um... Yeah, I'm like I'm liking I'm liking my pick there. That's a good win for Corda. Yeah, the, he had a crazy point. There was a hot shot of him doing a between the legs lob. Um, they played. They played today or yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. No, you know today. Well, when, did that, when did that tournament start? I'm not sure. Today? Either yesterday or today. Since the past withdrew. <laughs> Oh, I see. Quarter one, six three, and then seven six seven zero oh, in the tiebreaker. Yeah, that wasn't too too special. Quarter is something was to be excited about. ATP grass court match. He'd never played a match on grass before. It doesn't bode well. Yeah, so Quarter is now fifty in the world. Uh, you know, something to be excited about. Uh, almost twenty one years old, so he's still young. Um, 
Yeah. Cool. Well, I know that we, so we want to apologize to our listeners. We had intended to speak fairly extensively about the women's draw as well. And we're not trying to give it the short shrift. It's just that as, as you probably know, the men's matches were pretty dramatic, but we did have a pretty good script plan on the women's, um, the women's draw. So we're sorry to leave that out. I would have had a good script if it was golf. I would have had a good script if it was Serena. I would have had a good script if it was Osaka. But I literally did not know who like any of those people were in the later rounds. Yeah. Who who won? Bend over or move over? Who won that one? Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Could you name all four players in the semi? Can, can either of you name all four players in the semifinals? There, I think there was Rybakova. Um, she she was the winner. That's how I remember who she is. Uh, there was wait, was that actually no, no, no? Krajikova was the winner. Krajikova was the winner. Pavlyakova, Pavlyakova was the finalist. <laughs> And Zelinska, I think, was the semifinalist. No, no, there was um, there was there was the Swedish person, Sakari, the Greek woman. Oh yeah, Sakari. All right. She was Greek or Swedish. She's Greek. Wow, good for Greece. Good for Greece. Yeah, Greece had two semifinalists this year. Um. Yeah. Last question. Does Nadal regret switching hotels? Could that have factored in in any way, shape, or form? Or, or was it unsure if, in fact, he's I don't know if it was his choice. I think, uh, I think <laughs> the the Melia is it might not have reopened, or I think uh, they were doing a tournament hotel again for because of COVID. I see. I see. Um, that makes sense. Because I on Instagram I saw Federer. Nadal and Djokovic and Federer all took like Eiffel Tower photos from their hotel, and it looked like the same angle. Um, so Tough yeah, life. yeah, cool. Well, uh, that about does it to our listeners. Um, you know, uh, it's a pleasure. Hit us up on Twitter at Doubles Alley Pod. Um, yeah, tell us what you think. And, Phil, uh, do you want to give that ice cream store a plug or not? <laughs> uh, it's somewhere on Canal San Martin. Um, yeah, I prefer Grom. You guys should go to Grom get the uh, get the crema de Grom. That's my go-to right now. But uh, my other go-to is La Bamba. So uh, without further ado.